If you're listening to this podcast, there's a really high chance that you are also interested in cookbooks. So I wanted to let you guys know that my cookbook, Elevated Everyday Paleo, is officially out wherever you get your books from. It's a collection of recipes that I believe make everyday cooking just a bit more special, and I hope it reminds you that there's art in so many little moments of life. You can grab it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookseller. Sautel and you're listening to Manual Mode, a podcast for optimistic and goal-oriented creative entrepreneurs. I'm a New York City-based food photographer, author, and agency owner, but those job titles didn't come to me overnight. Together, we'll cover the good, the bad, the ugly, and the art that comes with switching your life and career into manual mode. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Manual Mode. I almost can't believe that I'm sitting here recording this right now because even just a week ago, this wasn't a sure thing that I was going to do. But when I decide that something's right, I tend to go all in on it. And I was talking to a friend about just podcasts in general and how when you want to learn from someone, you pretty much expect that they're going to have a podcast. And since I've somewhat taken up a little bit of space in the photography coaching world, it seemed like it was time. So here we are. Um, Most of the show is going to be me interviewing other guests, just learning about their stories, uh, adding more perspectives to this conversation about what it is to be a creative and run a creative business. Uh, But to start off with, I wanted to just do an episode sharing a little bit about some of the mindset shifts that have gotten me to this point in my career where I'm sitting here recording this podcast for you. So we're going to dive into six things that have shifted my mindset and helped me grow as an entrepreneur. So let's get started. The first concept that I want to talk about is this idea that creativity is a choice. Um, And this is something that I learned from Seth Godin. And if I had to tell you the one person that has had the biggest impact on my mindset and my growth, it would no doubt be Seth. Uh, His books are all very insightful and actionable, which I really appreciate. And he writes in a way that is really easy to grasp and implement pretty immediately. Uh, Many books that you'll get are just kind of one idea And then the book is kind of built around building credibility in that idea. And it's very drawn out. And it's something that maybe you could have gotten the general concept from like the Amazon description of the book. But what I love about Seth's books is it's just like 
page after page of the most boiled down, concise, wise ideas as if it's just pages of those Amazon descriptions. So you're getting right to the nugget of what you need to know to become a better creative and a better marketer and a better business person. So that's just my little plug for you to go read all of Seth's books, because if you want to work in the world of creative entrepreneurship, I think they should be mandatory reading. So going back to the concept that creativity is a choice, this idea might sound simple and short, but if you dive into it, it really blows all of our preconceived ideas about creativity out of the water. And it's a gut check for those of us who waste time looking for inspiration. We're waiting for the muse to strike. We hold so many limiting beliefs that we use as excuses in this area. How many times have you heard someone else or even just yourself said, Oh, I'm just not that creative. I could never be that creative. I'm just not talented. I'm just not artistic. We say these things all the time. Even if you consider yourself a professional creative, you still say things like that. But it's limiting beliefs. And part of being your own boss is being accountable to yourself. And I've had to learn to keep myself accountable to wake up and make the decision to be creative and make the decision to cast aside the excuses and the limiting beliefs that keep me from doing my best work. And it really comes down to just that in terms of how to execute this. It's just waking up and making that decision to be your best and do your best. And another thing that Seth talks about that I love is he says that creativity is not an event. It's simply what we do, whether or not we're in the mood. And I think having a very generous mindset around creativity and art this idea that it's something that we get to do for other people helps you get in this mindset it takes the focus off of you and it's more about going and doing it whether you feel like it or not because there's change that you want to make in the world and of course you're going to have bad days and moments where you haven't set yourself and your nervous system up to be your most creative self But that all comes in with that decision to be creative. It's making decisions to set yourself up to be the most creative that you can be. I know that to be my most creative and to get into my flow state, I need to be really mindful of my nervous system. I need to limit the cognitive load on myself. So I don't use that as an excuse if I, you know, scheduled too many things and woke up a little too late, went to the gym too late, drank too much caffeine, haven't really balanced my blood sugar, haven't worked on mindfulness exercises, all those things that I know set me up to get into a good flow state. If I haven't done those things, that's on me. That's a decision that I made that is affecting the creative environment that I made for myself. So it all comes back to your responsibility to set yourself up for success and to cast aside the limiting beliefs and to know that if you focus on the generosity of your work and just the impact that you can make through what you do, 
then you're going to be your best. It's all just that accountability to yourself to go and be creative. So the next concept is this idea that the most important thing to spend your money on is time and the preservation of time. So I've heard this lesson said a few different ways, but uh, Shane Parrish is someone who I've heard say it most eloquently. He's a great follow on Twitter. Um, if you want to just have daily gut checks by someone with really short, wise things to say. Um, he also said the cost of perfection is inaction, which is part of the reason why I started this podcast. Uh, but I digress. So he tweeted, it blows my mind that parents will consistently drive 30 minutes out of their way to save $2 on gas. And oh man, guys, I have struggled so much with bad money mindset coming into building this business, both on a personal level with just wasting time saving pennies on things out of fear and scarcity, and also holding myself back from investing in myself. And when we invest in ourselves, a few things happen. One, we're paying to save ourselves time, which is a very limited resource. And we're making a statement about the value of what we do to ourselves. And you can't expect your clients to want to pay you if you aren't the one who first went and saw the value of what you do. And there's really no better way to start setting that precedent than making a good investment in yourself and your business and your work. So while yes, on a personal level, don't spend two hours of your time saving 50 cents on a gallon of milk. Also on a business level, don't go out of your way to search the internet and learn everything the hard way when there are experts with courses that are easily accessible to you. There are so many times where I saw a course or something online and I was like, okay, I see you. I see that offer that you have that's basically listing out everything that I know that I'm trying to learn right now so that I can start making a bigger impact and a bigger profit. But instead, I think I'm going to just go through like the depths of Google and YouTube and kind of trip over myself and make some mistakes and get really embarrassed and learn this for myself. I think that's what I'm going to do. And when you look at it that way, it's so stupid. You're costing yourself time that you could be spending making more money. And if you're making money your end game, then that's really the way to go. But it's just so funny how much we let the construct of money get in our way. And look, I understand that this is all easier said than done. I built this business totally alone with my own money in the midst of a really terrible amount of student debt. And my unlearning around my money mindset has been so deep. But if I can do it, I know that you can too. And going back to that idea of making money the end game. When you think about it, it shouldn't be the end game. It's 
money's just a byproduct of good work and a tool to get more time and make the most of our time. And when we hold too tightly to money as the end game, we're sacrificing more fulfilled time. And if you really dig through that, I think you'd find that you don't really want the money, you really want the more fulfilled time. And we have to unclench our fists around money and be willing to invest it in things that are going to save us time. To me, money is this thing that I can use in the cycle of investing in myself, bringing in more money, and then using that money to buy more time and more investments so that I'm able to show up as the most generous version of myself. And this, oh man, like I said, guys, I have struggled with this so much and I know this is a lot to unpack. So if this is all hitting a little close to home, I would really recommend journaling around this. That's the thing that has really helped me get to the core of my beliefs around money and what I want to use my energy around money and the money that comes to me for and what I really want the bigger goal of the work that I do to be. So next idea is the concept that pit stops are preventative. So last year, me and all of America maybe became big Formula One fans due to the Netflix show. All of us who have never watched a Formula One race and probably still have never actually watched one became super fans because of this show. And I like to dive deep into my sports. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to learn everything about the sport and how it all operates. I want to know the structure of the teams. I want to know the behind the scenes. So one thing that I took out of this obsession is the fact that pit stops in the sport are preventative. And when you think about that, it has a lot of implications for our personal and business lives. So I did a lot of journaling around this idea that pit stops are preventative because a big mistake in my life has been waiting until my health is an absolute disaster to do anything about it. And I think this is something we can apply to many aspects of our entrepreneurial journey. Taking pit stops and checking in on both our physical and mental health, checking in throughout the year on our business goals and business finances, checking in on team members and clients. Going back to the racing analogy, when you're out in the middle of a lap and something bad happens to your car, there's not much anyone can do to help you at that point. You are too far away from your pit crew. You have to be pulled out. You have to take the L. Whereas if you've been willing to take those micro checkups on a consistent basis, you're going to make it through the race without a disaster occurring. And I've been mulling over this idea in my mind that unmanaged strength be can become a weakness. And those of us who are strong and stubborn have to really be self-aware of the fact that we can really mess ourselves up if we use our strength as a reason to avoid help or to avoid the maintenance that health and success requires. So that's another thing that you can go journal about. I'm going to have you guys doing a lot of writing after this episode. But pit stops are preventative. Think about what that means for you in your business and in your personal life. 
All right, guys, next concept. And this is my absolute favorite. I just love this one so much. And it's the idea that optimism is at the center of mental toughness. So this is a concept that I learned from Michael Gervais. He is a high-performance psychologist and host of the Finding Mastery podcast. And I pretty much made a Twitter account just so I could follow him because I wanted to know everything that he says. (laughs) So if you think about this idea that optimism is really at the center of mental toughness, you know, all of us will go through difficult things in our lives and our ability to get over those things doesn't have anything to do with how strong we are, how brave we are, how much we can shut off our emotions and tough it out, but it's really about our optimism and how resilient we can be in that optimism to look at something that isn't going well or to look at a situation where we are just feeling set up for failure or facing repeated rejection and we need to be so conditioned in our optimism that in the depths of that we can see that amazing things are on the other side of that struggle. You know, so much of my career has been born out of this optimistic quest for the good things in life that are on the other side of brokenness. I write a lot about choosing to see the hard parts of my life as puzzle pieces instead of shattered glass. There is always good to be found even in the bad times. I became a food photographer when I was super sick and underweight and my hair was falling out and I was struggling with an autoimmune condition that was the result of immense grief from loss and years of internalizing this pain. I felt like I was living as a 60-year-old in my 20s because I could not function outside of a small controlled environment of my apartment. I couldn't go out to eat and I didn't have the energy to do anything other than go to work and go through the motions of getting ready to go back to work. And none of those things are the setup for a good story when viewed through a pessimistic lens, but optimism sees that and it says, you know what? There's a need here. I bet other people also need to learn about healing themselves through food. I bet if I get really creative with this, you know, I don't inherently love cooking, but I bet I can find a way to make food that looks beautiful and celebrates just being alive, even within a limited range of ingredients. And four years of applying that kind of thinking through this whole journey has led me here to this apartment in New York where I just finished writing and photographing a cookbook and I'm recording a podcast for you. And if that's what a messy human like me can do with optimism, imagine what you can do. I was talking to a friend last week at dinner about just how resilient people are. And when I was walking home, I was thinking to myself about how much optimism and resiliency are connected. And look, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you need to know that consistency of actions is the biggest thing that you need in the first few years. But to stay consistent, you need to be resilient. And to be resilient, you need to be optimistic. It's really at the center of everything. All right, we got two more to go through. So the next is the idea that artists find things that remind people to notice and to see what is there instead of what they think they remember. So this is something I go back to whenever I'm feeling down about 
the fact that in the state of the world that we're in, I create images and books for a living. So I was listening to Jordan Peterson's podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to the episode, it's season four, episode 19, Brave Art. And it's an interview with Randall Wallace, who was the writer of Braveheart. And he's telling a story about how he was strongly influenced by Tolstoy and the story that he has about the woodfelling party, wherein a Russian soldier is about to die, basically. He knows it's the end for him, and he has this officer who's kind of overseeing him in the hospital and he tells the officer that he wants him to take these letters back to his wife and the officer is like okay yeah well we'll take care of it and the guy is like no I want to see you do it now so to get these letters they have to lift up the guy's uniform because he has them tied around his legs and when the officer sees the bare flesh of the soldier's leg it's the first time in this long war that he is reminded of just the gravity of the loss of human life and the humanity of the soldiers that are losing their lives here and basically randall wallace says that story has parallels in the way that we use art in our lives today. Artists hold up these things in front of us that make us stop and notice. It helps people process the world and to see what is really there in front of us instead of what we think we remember that we've really just kind of buried down and forgotten about. And in an age where we are so bombarded with information but also just with sad news because we're so connected to things that are happening all over the world I think it's more important than ever to have people who spend their time finding and preserving the good things in life or reminding us of meaning and capturing moments and stories that remind us of our humanity and how connected we all are so that's just something that makes me really proud to be an artist and it's something that I like to spend a lot of time just kind of thinking over when I think over why I do the work that I do and what my values are for my business and what our goals are. So the last thing that I want to talk about is this idea that you decide the value of your work. And this isn't a quote that I picked up from anyone, but it's something I've articulated after years of observing how more successful people work. And I've noticed a bit of a cycle, and I'm going to hold myself back from getting a little too soapboxy here, but in the food photography world, a lot of us are introduced to this through food blogging. And before I get into this, this is not at all a knock against food bloggers. Many of my closest friends are food bloggers. They work amazingly hard. They have really great businesses that have required a lot of strategy and differentiation. But when you are a food photographer, there is a difference in the business structure and in the photography done for 
someone who is a food blogger and then being more on the commercial and editorial side of the food photography world. So a lot of these photographers who start off in the food blogger sphere spend a lot of time posting passive-aggressive Instagram stories about how they're tired of being offered free cereal and exchanged for their work or whatever free thing. But really, they're stuck in a cycle perpetuated by the value that they have set for themselves. And this might sound really harsh, but look, we are the common denominators in our own lives. So in times where I felt like my work was not being valued in the way that I wanted it to be, or like too many brands were reaching out to me, seeing me as this person who just kind of took photos on the side that they could offer me free things for, I knew it was because there was a piece of the equation that I had not solved yet. There was something about either the quality of my work or the way I had presented my brand or the way my portfolio was set up that did not make my value clear. And I knew I had to put in the effort to do better work and to brand myself better and to attract better clients and to put out a better message until my work was both just at the level that I wanted it to be and perceived at the level that I wanted it to be perceived. So I don't want this to be interpreted as me saying that you can slap whatever dollar amount on your work that you want and whatever value you decide is the value you deserve. Because by deciding to be a top tier, high performing, high paid photographer, you also have to decide to put in the time and investments required to really produce work at that level of quality. This comes back to what we were talking about earlier with investing money in yourself. You have every right to charge your worth, to be paid well, to not be worrying about your next paycheck, to have a six or seven figure business, but you have to decide to operate at that level. And that's more than just taking good pictures. There's a lot involved in operating at that level. And I'm not calling anyone out, but I kind of am. I'm calling past me out. And I think a lot of us want the respect without always doing the work. And look, you don't even have to be lazy or untalented to be in this rut. You can be a hard worker and be making beautiful images, but if you're still struggling to get the clients that you really want, you need to sit back and examine in this value puzzle, what are you missing? Have you really set up your business and your offering in a way that makes that dollar amount that you want to see make sense? Are you speaking to clients who can afford that rate? Have you invested in the gear and in learning the technical expertise needed? Is your client experience flawless? Do you need to hire someone? Do you need to bring in some more people to help you really create work at that level? We are the common denominators in our lives. We decide the value of what we do and we decide to do the due diligence to serve our clients well and justify what we are asking them to invest in us. Again, I would recommend journaling on this. <laughs> so that was all of my big mindset shifts for you. I'll run through all of them one more time. 
Um, and all of these things will be in show notes on my website. So you can go through on mariahbrook.com and you can see all of the thought leaders that I've mentioned today. Uh, so the first is that creativity is a choice. Plug for Seth Godin books. Uh, the most important thing to spend your time money on is time and the preservation of it. Pit stops are preventative. Optimism is at the center of mental toughness. Artists find the things that remind people to notice, to see what is there instead of what they remember. You decide the value of your work. So that is all for today. If you want to talk more about this, my DMs are always open. If there's anyone you'd like to hear on the show, I would love to hear from you. Next Tuesday, we have a, an interview with just a powerhouse of a business one. We're going to be talking about diversification in the food photography world. Uh, so tune in for that. I can't wait. And in the meantime, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening. It really helps the show. And I'm Mariah Sattel, and you've been listening to Manual Mode.